0: Thanks to Slack for supporting Industry Focus. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people on your team are always in the loop and key information is at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 5th, and we're talking about a dot-com tech stock gone public. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not much. What Getting were, cold
1: in Colorado. <laughs> what were you doing in 1999, Evan? I was in high school. <laughs> so must have been what sophomore, something like that.
0: Yeah, and and I was playing baseball and hanging out at pool parties because I was uh, a middle schooler at the time. Uh, the company that we are talking about today, SurveyMonkey, was founded in 1999 uh, and has enjoyed quite a lengthy lifetime as a private company, kind of an under the radar unicorn.
1: Right. I mean, I mean, the brand's been around forever. Like like you said, you know, I, I recognize it from high school and, you know, people would start, you know, this is right when everyone's gone on the internet and you take these, you know, random little online surveys and polls. So yeah, I mean, they've been around forever.
0: Yeah, shares hit the market last week. Uh, the company ipo would under the ticker SVMK. And uh, if In case anyone is not familiar, it is a software as a service company that allows people to design and distribute surveys. Uh, they have some partnerships and integrations that work with a lot of the other major tech platforms out there. Um, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have probably taken a SurveyMonkey survey before and maybe not even realized it
1: right i mean lots of people use this service because it's free and very easy to use Um, anytime they want to go out and collect some data or feedback about you know their business or just how, how they're doing you know all sorts of purposes
0: and so they have that free tier and that offers some limited functionality. Uh, they have some response limits, things like that. And then they have several individual tiers and those go from $37 a month or just about $370 annually uh, to over $1,000 per year. Uh, and it scales you know, with different functionality, branding, data exports, all that kind of stuff. They also have a negotiated pricing uh, on their enterprise segment. And so they have a B2B side of their business. But I think that really they start out with consumers directly.
1: Right, I mean they they did say that the vast majority of their accounts uh, are individual accounts. So they estimated that, you know, roughly 12% of revenue comes from customers with organizational level accounts, or, you know, those enterprise negotiated ones. Um, and they have about 3,000 organizational customers uh, out of about 615,000 total paying users. So that's a pretty small portion, but I think that, you know, that being said, I think that uh, a lot of these accounts are still using these individual accounts for business purposes, even if they're technically registered as an individual account. Uh, SurveyMonkey says that about 80% of accounts, they estimate, are still using these for you know some type of business purpose. Which makes sense if you think about it. I mean, this isn't a type of service where you need everyone in your organization to have an account. And kind of anecdotally, my wife actually has one at work, and she actually was telling me, um, she works for the state of Colorado, but she actually shares an account with another department. So, that's kind of an exact you know, situation example here where yeah, you have one account, it's probably registered as individual account. I'm, I'm not sure how that one is registered, but you have lots of people across departments using this one account.
0: And if this sounds at all familiar, this idea of a free service that people come into, uh, they tend to deal primarily on the consumer side and then build their way into businesses, uh, it's because it is. We, we talked about a company that has a very similar model maybe a month or two ago uh, with Dropbox.
1: Right. So, the, you know, they do have a very large, you know, just like Dropbox, they have this huge, you know, uh, mass of free users and they're kind of challenges to try to convert those over. But, you know, you can see in the numbers that their conversion rate isn't super high, uh, which is also kind of similar to Dropbox because Dropbox isn't really super aggressive with sales. They kind of rely more on word word of mouth marketing, you know. Same story here. Yeah, the
0: drill down on that, since inception, the service has 60 million registered users. Uh, they count 16 million active users, people that have used it in the last year, and 600,000 paying users. So, roughly 4% of active users are paying users, to your point, not a huge majority of them paying for the service. Um, this is a company, looking at the books, uh, there's a lot going on. You know, you think, OK, this company's going public, um, they must be showing some pretty gaudy growth rates. Uh, not necessarily the case. You, you kind of have to take a step back and remember, you know, this business has been around for 19 years,
1: <laughs> right? So, uh, last year in 2017, uh, revenue only grew about five or six percent, um, which I think was something around 220 ish million. Um, but I think that you know, one thing that stands out to me is that you know, while growth is slowing, their costs are rising even faster. So, for example, you know, if you ignore some of these restructuring costs they had over the past two years, um, you know a lot of their operating expenses are are kind of jumping. Like R&D was up 40% last year. Uh, Sales marketing about flat, but general administration was up 30%. So when you compare that against 6% revenue growth, obviously you're getting pinched on the bottom line, or in this case, you know, they're they're posting net losses still. And it's like, what are you spending $50 million in R&D on when the platform is pretty, you know, it's a survey. I mean, how complicated should it be? I mean, (laughs) it's just, I don't know what they're spending the money on.
0: Yeah, and... For a company that posts 70% gross margins, uh, they post operating losses because their costs are currently outstripping their revenue growth. Um, there was some slight revenue acceleration that we saw with this business. Uh, in the first half of 2018, they put up 14% year-over-year growth over the first half of 2017. Uh, that's still not very blistering, though. You know, This company is losing money. It looks like it's going to continue to lose money for quite some time. Uh, and A big part of that is the fact that they have some pretty hefty interest payments as well.
1: Right. So, that's another thing that's jumped out at me, too, is that this company is, is very deep in debt. Um, so, for example, before the IPO, so at the end of the second quarter, they had about $40 million in cash on hand and then $320 million in net debt. Most of that would be in these credit facilities like a term loan, as well as revolvers with some of these big banks, who, interestingly, were also underwriters <laughs> to the IPO. Uh, so, after the IPO, they did say that they are going to put $100 million of the IPO proceeds towards paying down some of this debt. So, after the IPO now they have about 125 million or so in cash uh, and now 220 million in net debt. so that certainly improves their financial condition but if that's the reason why they went public that's not really inspiring to me as an investor and I mean I mean I understand like you know if you want to swap out some of this debt capital for equity capital, you do save a lot of money because these interest payments, Interest expense is huge. I mean, interest expense is like over 10% of revenue every quarter, and it just takes. I mean, they're already operating a loss, and then on top of that, having to pay out tens of millions of dollars of interest every quarter, it's just it's a tough position to be in.
0: All told, looking at the numbers, uh, there isn't really a lot for me to like here. I I think the growth rate. Is relatively low given that this is not a profitable business and it has been around for such a long time. And right now the company trades at roughly a $1.8 billion valuation, which puts them at somewhere between seven and eight times sales. That feels a little pricey for the current state of this company.
1: Yeah, I don't really see anything that's really inspiring me too. And another risk that's kind of on the horizon there too is that, you know, Sur- SurveyMonkey does name Google, Google specifically as another provider of online surveys, and you know we use Google surveys at the fool internally, um, and you know, I think that's another kind of risk factor because they also mentioned that 80% of their new paying users come directly either to the site or through organic search. Organic search, they don't break that down even further, but there's some portion of their of their you know new business that's coming from organic search. Which could be a risk if Google, which is obviously a competitor, ever tweaks their search algorithms. So I think that's something to kind of keep an eye on too.
0: And there's also just the risk of you know if you're using uh, the free side of this as your acquisition funnel, and you have someone who does a quote-unquote good enough version of what you do as a feature as part of a larger business, um, that could really limit the number of people that are coming in at the top of that funnel for you.
1: Right. Exactly. So. And then that might also explain why their growth rates aren't that great. You know, I mean, if I don't know, I just don't see a where they go from here or what. It's hard to imagine. Like, what is exciting about this business in ten years?
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna try to solve for that. Uh, but on the back half of the show, we're gonna touch on that a little bit, and we're also gonna look at a few listener questions about SurveyMonkey. Before we get over to that part of the discussion, though, thanks to Slack for supporting Industry Focus. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people on your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. Evan and I go back and forth on Slack before we plan every show, and I will say that it is excellent because we don't have to track back through all these old email folders and threads. Everything's in one place. It's easily searchable. We can just drag and drop our notes right in, and the conversation flows. With Slack, your team can also be better connected. If you want to learn more, go to slack.com. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. All right, so, Evan, on Twitter, I mentioned that we were going to be talking about SurveyMonkey and this new IPO, and I asked if people had any questions. As always, the internet disappointed. Uh, we have market foolery host Chris Hill immediately chiming in, and this is a five parter, so get ready. One, why'd they pick monkey for the company name? Two, aren't dolphins the most intelligent animal on earth? Three, did Survey Dolphin even make it through the first round of voting? Four, the company's HQ is in San Mateo, California. Not a question. Five. What they don't have dolphins in the Pacific Ocean, and so uh, I think Chris is having some fun here. But it, but it does beg the question: uh, Why are they called Survey Monkey? So so why don't we briefly touch on this? Because CEO Xander Lurie has mentioned this actually publicly in Quora, this this great platform for asking people questions. Do uh, You want to take
1: us one of. Yeah, so Lurie answered on Cora. Uh, he was kind of talking about how in the, in the dot-com bubble, everyone had these kind of weird internet names. Uh, and, I mean, these names sound normal today because they've been around forever, uh, like Yahoo or eBay or Amazon. He even mentioned Amazon. But, uh, you yeah, know, so they had all these different names. And, you know, and, again, this company is 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so he says they were looking for something fresh that also described the product, uh, but it was also an online survey tool. And what is curious and uses tools... Monkeys. So, <laughs> survey monkeys. How they, what they came up with. I think that's kind of a silly justification or story or whatever. But. It is what it is.
0: You know what, Evan? I think in 20 years, a lot of people are going to be looking at the Shopify's and uh, Spotify's of the world and be like, how come every company was ending in IFY and you know, putting all these weird names in there like Lyft with a Y? Well, it's because domain names were bought up at that point, right? Like People, saw people had to start getting creative with how they were naming their companies because they needed domains that fit whatever they were going to name the business.
1: Or throw an R at the end of something. Yes, that's popular now. Of course,
0: right. (laughs) And and so so I think it's the same thing. It's just a a a bygone era in tech, if you will. Um, Sign of the times. Sign of the times. We did have one helpful listener question, though. I want to I want to praise Austin Lieberman for asking this because I appreciate it when people reach out with real legitimate questions. Chris Hill Um, and (laughs) Austin asks, do they have a moat? Seems like there are many other free options. Also, are they mostly B two B or mostly B two C? And so his question here really hits on something that we touched on earlier: this idea that they name Google in their risks. And probably the other surveying tool that people are most familiar with is Google Forms. To your point earlier, Evan.
1: Right, and and I think that's the really crux of it. I don't see them having this really strong competitive advantage. And and as far as like B two B versus B two C. As we were talking about with some of these numbers before, there, it's like some we, they fall in somewhere in the middle. Like they have a lot of people that use it for business purposes, but their needs aren't you know, that you know they don't have that much of a need for all these like high end options. So they just get these individual accounts, and that's perfectly fine, and that you know, is all they need to do. But they're still using it for business. So it's a weird kind of mix of all of the all of the above. It's like they're in the middle of the spectrum of you know business customers or just individual consumers.
0: Yeah, when I look at this business, I see what is I think really a feature or a very limited use case tool for a lot of the people that are using it. Um, On the low end, you know, you see like Google Forms could easily come in. It's just a feature that they build into all the other Google account functionality that they have. Granted, it's much more limited in what it can do than some of the more advanced features on SurveyMonkey. But still, Um, then you go to the high end and and where I think SurveyMonkey wants to be on the enterprise side. And, you know, if they're doing stuff that's a little bit more about employee engagement or market research, well, there's a lot of HR companies that are in that space and are probably building some form of surveying into a tool that also does payroll, also does you know, maybe accounts receivable, and does, does all these other things for a business. So, I worry with them that they are kind of squished at both ends of that market.
1: Right. And there's not really possible for them to expand into like the deep HR Software space or CRM space, right? Like, like those companies are much more likely to tack on this free survey stuff as, and add on to theirs their platforms, which are much more important than a survey platform trying to expand into these other critical functions of a business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and to Austin's question about B two B versus B two C, you hit on this a little bit, but this is very much the land and expand model that they are using. We saw it with Dropbox. It's similar here. Um, so they are using individuals with personal accounts to kind of get in the door. And then the idea is, when these needs come about with a business, that individual, that user, will be the advocate for this service because they've used it, they know it, the, the functionality is great, and so they are they are this hybrid, like you mentioned, and it kind of makes them hard to put them into an individual box. But it also makes it a little tougher to know where their most desirable market is.
1: I mean, if anything, what it tells me is that they're like the individual plans that are kind of you know more affordable. Are perfectly good enough for most of these kind of business use cases that they envision trying to upsell people to, but clearly, you know, given these numbers that I mentioned earlier, they don't have a strong value proposition for these for like enterprise organizational accounts. And these kind of individual features are perfectly fine, and you know, so I think that they do face an uphill battle with these upsells.
0: Is that is that to say, Evan, that you are not particularly excited about the SurveyMonkey IPO? <laughs>
1: I'm excited to sit on the sidelines and watch it, but I'm not going to touch it myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am right there with you. Thanks for hopping on this episode, Evan. Thanks for having me. All right, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!